actually is to give uh, 10 car lengths to Charles and some breathing space within 10, within 10 car lengths. But guys, I'm under pressure from Hamilton, please don't ask these things. Please, please, stop inventing. Stop inventing. I'm under pressure also. back to another episode of Rear of the Grid. As always, I am your host, Matt, joined this week, as always, by my good friend, Jashan. How are you tonight, sir? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm cruising. I'm, I'm just doing my thing. And on this week's show, we take a look at the glory, the glory that was Carlos Sainz's first race win. Mick Schumacher scores his first F1 points, and uh, we we dig into what was just one of the greatest side-by-side battles we've seen in recent times. And yeah, literally all that and so, so much more to the point that I don't even need to mention Park Ji-sung in this week's episode <laughs> because there's no time for it. On this, a bumper episode for a legendary race. Of rear of the grid. Ah, the balls. Here we are, back for a- another week. This time in review, in what I think honestly has to be said, probably one of the greatest Grand Prix of all time. Certainly one of the best Grand Prix in um, recent memory, definitely the race of the season so far. Oh, yeah. And I'll happily go ahead and you, I think, well, you know, people who pay attention to this podcast and the things I say, I don't know. Shout out um, to Verde. For, uh, I think for mine, this is my favorite Grand Prix since Canada 2011. I see. Which Saucy. probably makes this my second favorite race of all time. Maybe, maybe third behind Weber's first win. Well, because obviously you've got with with the people who ended up getting milestones and Mick Schumacher and Carlos Sainz, you've got two of your favorite drivers achieving. Oh yes, yes, I got I got this for me was a banger. Much much like well, I can't really remember the quality of Mark's first win to be honest, but much like Canada twenty eleven, mm-hmm. I got it, it for, for yes for, for me as my taste as an F one fan. This was a god tier race combined yep. with a god tier final result, giving me a exactly. I don't know transcendent ethereal <laughs> overall experience. I don't fucking know. Because I think for me the actual racing you could, uh maybe maybe Monza Gasly's win, maybe that Austria race from twenty twenty where Lando had his last minute, the last lap Lando was pretty fucking awesome too. I maybe there are comparisons to be had, but yeah, this was fucking this was awesome. Honestly, and mate. Look, as someone I who had... doesn't like Carlos Science, I'm not as happy with the result as others, but I can still see so... to the fact that this was an awesome race. So egregious. Mm-hmm. Honestly, mate, for me, mate, Monday morning, between between this and then the fact that fucking Dylan Grunewagen won stage three of the tour and Wout's still in yellow, I had the fucking Ugh. best Monday morning. Everything. Everything went right for me. I went And Liv Morgan to <laughs> Oh, hit the Liv Morgan one money in the bank. Oh, that was on Sunday, not Monday. But yeah, yeah. Well, the race was um, kind of on Sunday too. So 
I, you know. And oh, the F the F two the F two went pretty solid. And who won the F three? Did I just block out that? Arthur Leclerc. He did. Yes. Yeah, so that went great as Your well. Boy. It just. It all went correct for me on Monday morning. It was quite nice. But yeah, let's sort of get into it. And the first thing, obviously, I've alluded to some of my things. But um, yeah, for you, as obviously a much newer F1 fan, and I'd like to probably think that you've probably got significantly um, easier to access memories of probably... Your favourite, or the, what you think of uh, some of the best Grand Prix you've got to watch, because they've all happened within the last two calendar years. Correct. Yeah, where where did this race um, stack up for you? Compared to, I guess, yeah, some of those ones you've mentioned, Austria 2020, Monza 2020. 2020 was yeah, a good year, well, wasn't it? Oh, man, it's, you know, yeah. 2020 was a good year, and last year... Oh, Derby kind of has to be in there as well, just for the, the sake of what happened. Yeah. I don't know if I'd put it number one straight away, because I'm very anti-recency bias, but that's my first thought was, yeah, this is the best Formula 1 race I've ever watched. Ah, oh, but oh, there are some good ones. Baku last season as well. Yeah, there's just, there's there's so many elements, and that, as we'll discuss, there were so many storylines, and it was just good racing throughout was the biggest one. Like, this was truly... And not to say this couldn't have happened, but, like, in some ways you could argue this truly was the coming-out party for this, regu- like, era of regulations for the cars and that because yeah. we we genuinely, we had racing and on-track action from lap one to... I can't remember how many laps the race was, but lap the last lap. <laughs> like, there was, yeah. Obviously, the last 10 or so, as we'll talk about later in the show, the last 10 were genuinely, like, biblical proportions. But biblical there was, there was stuff, proportions. There was stuff mm. going on through the whole race. And that's my thing. I think, like, on-track action, it stacks up well with um, the likes of... Uh, Baku last year, Austria 2020, and that. And I think result, and obviously going back further in time for someone like me, Canada 2018, uh, sorry, Canada 2011, uh, yep. Valencia 2012 is another one that springs to mind. Uh, Germany 2019, I believe, was the rain affected one where Charles crashed and Lewis crashed. Okay. Because that was one of the ones that, and. Uh, Brazil 2019 were the two Grand Prix that sort of got me back into F1 and I guess led to the formation of this podcast because I was those two and a few things I was hyped enough for the 2020 season and then obviously the role of COVID drawing it out for so long drive to survive and I was like you know what I'm back into F1 we should do an F1 podcast and now you're stuck here as an F1 fan you have my greatest apologies no man it's it's been good so far so blame blame Lewis Hamilton because if he'd won that um 20, uh, 2019 uh, German Grand Prix. I probably just hate that race still and hate. Mate, we can't blame Lewis Hamilton for everything. I know we try to, but we, we can't blame him for. <laughs> no, I blame everything. Lewis Hamilton for Joe Guan Yu's crash, even though he was nowhere near it. He was. We blame Lewis it. Hamilton for the war in Ukraine. Like, Correct. He's actually <laughs> best buddies with someone. Um, 
But yeah, and then the the final outcome wise, I know you've already uh, gone and voiced because you're just a terrible human being that you do not like Carlos. But obviously, I think you can recognize that in terms of a result as viewed by the wider F1 oh, community yeah. kind of thing, this that's the thing. I think this sits up there with Gasly winning Monza in 2020. Sergio, Sergio, Sergio winning in um, yeah, 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 Baku. Uh, Sorry, uh, Bahrain, Bahrain. Because I had this moment. Did Esteban Ocon win a race? No, he had a po. No, he did win a race. Esteban yeah, Ocon. Esteban Ocon won in Hungary last year. I was like, <laughs> no, no, he just had that podium when Sergio won. But no, Esteban Ocon's won a fucking Grand Prix. Uh, I don't know whether that was met with as much. Um, positive reception as Gasly, Gasly, Paris are the two best examples. And then going back in time, something like um, Jensen's win in Canada, although that obviously wasn't the significance of a first time win. Um, I think he popular winner because he's a popular driver uh, as an Australian Ricardo's first win. So yeah, just a combination of a uh, result that I think widely uh, welcomed by the greater F1 community and yeah, on track action that is up there with some of the best we've seen in a very long time. Hell yeah. Yeah, so let's start to dig into it. Before we get to the man himself who won the race, I think we have to talk about that turn one slash start line incident because this race... Oh, yeah. It got off to a bit of a fucking mental start. It was one of those ones. Um, based on the outcome of the race, you know, well, there was justification there because I I toyed with staying up to watch this one live, and I sort of you know I was saying to uh, Spencer and that I was like, oh you know, Carlos has a good chance here. I wouldn't mind seeing that live. And he was like, oh no, he's not going to win though, is he? Uh, he won't win. And I was like, yeah. I mean, he might though. Mm. Like, yeah, he won't. <laughs> um, but um, based off, yes. To be honest, glad I went to bed because going back to things like obviously Bahrain 2020 with uh, Grosjean's crash and things like that. Uh, as someone who obviously lives in the complete opposite time zone to these races and that, there is nothing worse. Then you push through, you've pushed past your regular bedtime or whatever. Your body is crying out, just wanting to go to sleep. But you're like, no, I can see this through. And then you're 30 seconds in and a fucking 40-minute red flag comes out. And you're like, well, fuck me. Because did you watch, obviously, did you at, get to that point live? Did you watch the No, 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 no. I, I'm saying I'm glad I didn't bother with oh, watching right, it live. Because that would have been... Because that's one of those things. A red flag comes out, and then you're like, oh, do I, how, will it be a lot? I mean, this I would have been obvious to me. I think it would have be been a decently lengthy red flag, and I probably would have just gone to bed as soon as that happened. But it that's was, still yeah. annoying, because it's like, if the red flag doesn't come out, you're fine to that. But the second the red flag comes out, you're like, oh, well, I'm not going to sit here for 40 minutes doing nothing. I'm going to go to bed. But you've already lost like an hour, an hour and a half sleep. Because if I hadn't have chosen to stay up for the race, I would have gone to bed <laughs> like an hour and a half before Yes, but, well, I yes. worked till 11 o'clock that Sorry. night, and I got home just in time to watch it live. I did watch it live till about 3 in the morning, because, yeah, there was a 30 to 40 minute delay, and hmm. then I got back up for work at 5 o'clock. So, yes, I I'm feel aware. very sorry for you having sometimes lost an hour's sleep here and there. <laughs> oh, no, but, I mean, you, I'd, argue, I'd argue your situation actually easier because you... <laughs> what? No, 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 if you let me explain, let me explain. For me, the difficult part is the getting from when I when I hit the wall and I'm like, I want to be asleep to the start of the Grand Prix. 
as you said, you got home just in time for the race. I could probably do that because I'm like, yeah, I'm already awake. I'd already, I'd already gone through the wall, Matthew. You understand? Oh, but you, you, you went through the wall where you had no choice but to go through it. You're at work. You can't just go to sleep at work. Okay. You had something that you were forced to keep doing. Obviously, you would have rather not do it, but you were paid to stay awake. Whereas, that's the thing. True. I was considering it. I got to about 9, 30, 10, and I was just like, I'm just... Not gonna. I'm already too tired to be doing 2K. I I, I just I'm too tired too to tired yeah, to play video games in this economy. Mate, fuck. 2K the t- 2K's off season is fucking difficult when you're tired and you're trying to think about what free agents to sign, but like your brain is not turned on. Regardless, watching that crash live, it was um it was oh. a little bit shocking because you kind of got. Past the first corner, and you see like the you know they're tussling for position at the start. Their Max had passed Carlos, looking pretty good. And then you just kind of see out the background a car sliding off into the distance, and you think to yourself, "Was that car upside down?" Well, yeah, that, that was my thing. I Fuck. think I clocked that pretty quickly because, but I was just like, "Yeah, that was that was, upside, was upside down." down. And it's it's weird because I've I'm sure I have some, but it's like I've not seen either for a very long time or i'm not sure i've ever seen that a car go that far just Mm. upside down because obviously normally cars end up inverting in such a way that they then catch an edge and either barrel roll or they'll end up upside down but then the second they hit the gravel trap they um again they catch and start rotating but just the nature of where this happened he went upside down for a fairway because there's a huge, huge bit of run- tarmac runoff at Turn 1 in Silverstone. So he would have done all 100, 150 metres of the tarmac runoff upside down. But yeah. I guess just the angle he went... Because he was also... He wasn't side on. He was almost straight to the direction of the track, I believe. Yeah. So he went in He went in at like 90 degrees to... Um, perpendicular is the word I'm looking for. Isn't he? he went in perpendicular to like sure. the lay of the gravel trap. So, like, he didn't even catch and roll then. He pretty much went upside down until just before hitting the barriers, I think, when it was maybe starting to rotate. And I've just never seen that. And then he I've just, ne- I've just over never the fucking barriers into I've never, the steel yeah, wire I've never seen there. a car not catch and, catch and roll. I've seen a car yeah. go over the barrier before. So that wasn't... I mean, it was obviously... Yeah, that wasn't the most terrifying thing. And I'll, I'll be honest, this is one of those things, just in comparison to other big crashes that happened recently, and the, obviously the obvious one is uh, Grosjean. Grosjean. This wasn't nearly as scary as Grosjean, just simply because I know the Halo exists. If this crash had happened yeah, five yeah. years ago, I mean, A, who knows, Joe may be dead from... Oh, dude, definitely. Not, are you kidding? He was literally upside not, down. That's his head, like... Not necessarily. Halo, in, that's his in, head on the fucking gravel, like... Not, I mean... Oh. Not necessarily, because in theory, the um the head level is lower than, um you know, like the air, air duct and everything. There's, there is... F1 cars yeah. are designed for a reason, so your head isn't the highest point. Yeah. But sure. it's more whether as he went over the barriers and think Yes, A, if the car dug in a bit in the gravel trap complete possibility and then yes if um the way he went through the barriers and stuff like that but yeah knowing the halo is there i was like in theory there's probably a pretty good chance and that whereas obviously grosjean because it was just explosion fireball and i was like Mm. i mean who cares if he's got a fucking halo like sure he's not being decapitated 
but like he's disintegrated slash burnt alive. So I mean he's dead, um, and then he wasn't. Thankfully. Thankfully. But yeah, so Joe. So Joe. Joe has been more like he's. He's. I wasn't necessarily like traumatically concerned instantly. I was like, okay, that was fucking. That that doesn't look good. But I was like, and you know, he was. So I think that's already one thing that Halo takes out. There's not quite the horror factor, which is nice. And that, and obviously, again, yeah, they we didn't show replays for a while, so maybe that built a little bit of doubt brought in. But I think that's also that's just. It's a sure good okay. policy that they're now bringing hard. It seems like since the Grosjean crash and that, now they're just doing this. Until they know the driver is completely fine, mm. you're not showing replays and that. Because like, that's the thing. Show that, but he still had a big impact, lots of G-forces. Who knows? He could, yeah. He could be yeah. unconscious. Can you imagine he could, you know, being one of the fans who was sitting, you know, down on on trackside, like. Oh yeah, have you have so you seen have fence. you seen any of the fan camera angles? Yeah, man, it's they insane. are wild. And you can tell there's a few people who once the car just stops there, are just sort of, yeah, turning to look away because it's a little bit too much to take in, which completely fair. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It's been actually, like I said, it's not the first time I've seen that. It's been a long time since I've seen. I'm trying to think. Certainly in terms of a race, I was maybe not watching live, but I was like actively watching rather than just a clip I've come across online and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think Le Mans, maybe a decade or so again, Alan McNish had a crash very early in the race, like turn four or something. It's one of those things. Your fast car overtaking a slower car, as you do in endurance racing. Miscommunication, people are realizing there. Clipped it probably lunge too late, clipped the car, mm-hmm. which instantly, I don't know, broke the steering, broke the suspension, and he went almost full speed, head first, into the barriers, and the car flipped up over the barrier. He was, you know, fine and everything. They build those yeah. DPs tough. But, um, yeah, it's just been a long time. And just because, yeah, it just doesn't normally happen. It was just the way it went in with how much momentum it had as well. And that Because that's the other thing. Because it didn't roll... It probably didn't. It didn't dissipate speed and energy as you would normally get. Like exactly, he's obviously, obviously a yeah. huge roll is scary in that. But an F one car is designed to you know break apart in a particular and in theory safe manner when stuff like that happens mm-hmm. to sort of slowly dissipate the kinetic energy of the crash and keep the driver as safe as possible. Allah, I don't know whether you've ever seen footage of it. Maybe if it was probably seventeen or eighteen. When I was back at uni, uh, Fernando Alonso had a big crash at turn one or turn three. I think turn one in Australia and did a massive, no, turn three, had a massive barrel roll um, through the gravel trap down at turn three at Australia into the fence and ended up like on the racetrack side of the fence with sort of cockpit down and, you know, crawled out quickly because he wanted his bum to know he's okay and all stuff like that. But, like, this argues to think, doing that at least, you're slowly washing off speed to the point you get to the barrier and that's then enough to check the momentum. Joe is probably still going at, you know, well north of 100, 150 kilometers per hour when he hit that. And it's just, yeah, so much forward momentum. It just picked the car up and over the barrier. And then, yeah, the way it landed was in that small, narrow space between the backside of the barrier and then the like chain link safety fencing to keep the crowd separate from the track um, with, yeah, cockpit down facing into the racetrack barriers. Just absolutely fucking wild. And that, I just, yeah. I suppose we should probably talk through. So basically how it happened, um, 
I jested about it a bit once I knew Joe was fine, but realistically, this was just every now and again. There, you will only, you can only, you don't know what the number is, but you can only go so many motorsport races, F1, F2, whatever, without just something going wrong at the start. Just inevitably, with that many cars yeah. going that fast and everyone going anywhere. And this was just one of those things. A bunch of people didn't get great starts. Uh, George had a shit yes. start. Joe, not like mega shit starts, not Fred Vesti fucking from P2 deciding to drop to P8. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing, mate? In the F2 feature. But yeah, bad enough starts that the sort of the row behind them was poised to jump them. And so I think they both, yeah, bogged it a bit. Um, was it Ocon? Um, knife through the gap between the two of them, I think. And then Gasly, mm-hmm. who was behind Ocon. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry, Latifi went through. Yeah, so yeah, Latifi, Latifi knife through that gap, and then Gasly was obviously sore, and he was going quicker, and he was like, yep, I'll follow through. And it was just one of those things. As Gasly started to come through that gap, George just drifted left to well, put himself closer to be on the racing line to hit the turn one apex and all those things, and possibly to close the door on cars he thought might be coming. And yeah, just... You know, Gazzy's right front caught George's uh, left rear, hooked George left into Joe at just obviously the right angle with wings and everything. It just, yeah, lifted Joe's car up and over, and it was upside down and sort of spun George around as a concertina of that, of people trying to check up. I believe it was Sonoda who um, speared into the back of Albon and turned Albon... Yes, sorry, yes, because it was, yeah, sorry. So, so, yeah, Sonoda, then, sorry, yeah, Vettel, Vettel speared into the back of Albon, turned him hard right into the pit wall. Albon's car would then rebound back out onto the track into Ocon and Sonoda, um, who both picked up damage. And so both uh, AlphaTauri's with some damage and left some carbon fiber strewn, which would come back to play a key factor. Later. So, yeah, it was just absolute mess and that. Um, from that, George Russell, I mean, obviously he had a decent amount of damage to his car, but based off what, like, Gasly and, not Gasly, well, yeah, Sonoda and Ocon limped back with in that, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure George's car would have still been relatively drivable. Like, he was still, yeah. he still appeared to be well under power up until the moment that he chose to pull up. And then get out, and you know he ran over to the barriers. Well, to, well, did uh, you describe the actual Joe. contact between Gasly, Russell, and, and Joe? Yeah, didn't I just do that? Yeah, when when George had a slow start because of his. The other thing to to point out is that a bunch of these drivers had the hard tires on. Yes, that is, and yep. that kind of contributed to a bunch of these slow starts because yeah, it yes, because Joe and George were both hard, weren't they? Who started off really really slow, so George had his yeah. hard tires on. Which contributed to his Joe shitty did. start. I think, I think Joe did too. Yeah, uh, quite possibly, and that yeah contributed to kind of this entire fuck up and and awful, awful scenes. And Albon obviously retired off of that uh, original crash that we that you mentioned, and then yes, obviously Joe, Joe retired, yeah. and now yeah, George, as we're gonna George. go into here, is the so yes, yes, yeah, George, George got out of the car, um, ran over to check on Joe, see if he'd help in that. I'm not going to get into during any comparisons or anything, but yeah. Um, I think well in character for George, not super surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Always nice to see. Oh, it's one of those things. Really heartwarming. For the, for the most part, I'm not one. I will never hold it against 
um, a racing driver that doesn't necessarily stop because there is so many things. It's a, it's a lot to process and things like that. But I will always give it, it is always points in their favor. It's one of those things. It's not punishable not to do it, but you get good karma points for doing it. Absolutely. Um, not in the eyes of the FIA, but, though. What was that? No. Not in the eyes of the well, FIA, it's just, though. And then it was one of those unfortunate things. Obviously, George's decision to stop and check on Joe, it seemed as though when he came back, he was unable to get his car to restart. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I'm assuming, because it seemed like it was fine under power, like it didn't look like it was just coasting to get there. And he seemed like he was still driving and then made the decision to stop. He had a so right if he hadn't have done that, well. So it would oh, have yeah, been yeah, a slow, was... slow drive back to the pit stop. Oh, it would have, but, yes, but, but that's the, the thing. It was red flag conditions. Sonoda and Sonoda and Auckland did the same thing, and then they were yes. able to do the work on their car and, you know... Um, Get back out there. Ocon, Ocon was on for points before. Uh, <laughs> he's he's mechanical. <laughs> yeah, so was um, Gasly until Tsunoda had his little moment. <laughs> so he he stopped. He stopped. He went. Over, he ran. He sprinted over to check on Guan Yuzhou. Uh, heartwarming scenes to to say the least. To see that kind of driver care. Yeah, Joe Guan Yu. Uh, and he came back. He had told the marshals, "Do not move my car. I'm going to get it going again." So he 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 told the marshals that he came back. He couldn't get it going again. Then he went to chat with his team to ask for advice on how to get the car going again. He went back for a second time, and at that point, the marshals had already put the car onto the um the flatbed there. So that's why George got so pissed off because he felt that okay, I can still get the car started and drive it back home. What I've done, I've done a good thing. I've done a good Samaritan act, and the marshals have just kind of done. They've worked against my wishes, my specific claim, and they've just taken my car away anyway. Now, whether or not that's the correct decision, because obviously, if you can't restart the car, if you can't get the car moving, then it, it is retired. That's how it works. So, via the rule book, he should he should have been retired. But at the same time, should there be, you know. I guess room to breathe, room to move for helping out someone who's done a good act, right? Yeah. Oh, look, it's a tricky one. It's one of the things. Neither George nor the Marshals are at fault. I think the first instance where he's got out of his car or whatever to check on Joe and he said, don't take my car away yet. I'm just checking on Joe. I'm going to go back and drive off. That's completely reasonable. But once he's got back in that car... And it's failed to get it restarted. And then he's effectively, he has, because let me think, when he's checking on Joe, he's not left the scene. Like, he's still in mm-hmm. the vicinity to walk back to his car. Going all the way back to pit lane to talk with the team, like, as far as that's it, like, he has, given, he has left the scene. He's gone back to pit lane to get his kid off and move on with his life. Mm-hmm. Um, the master's job is to clear the racetrack as timely as they can to get the race back going. Yeah, uh, fair enough. From there, it's it's tough. On the one hand, I really and you obviously know that's a thing. Like I'm, it's a toss up for me right now between George or Carlos for my favorite driver. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was jokingly saying to you after this incident, I was already like, because you'd said in our chat with Nona, but you're like, oh, I hope you boys watch this race. It's that. And then I saw, you know, lap one crash, George is out, and I was like, mate, no nah, shit race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit race. Yeah, it's a tough thing. Obviously, there's an element you could go common sense to try and bend the rules here and that and go, well, you know that. But it's 
a lot to prove. Like, mm -hmm. you know, was it the car behind? And the fact, mere fact that the car wasn't able to restart means there is a case that there was obviously a mechanical fault with it after the incident or whatever. Um, and it's just, it's also, it's the, does that set a bit of a precedent? Because then, obviously, unique situation in that. But if you allow George to, um, you know, restart... Yeah, if you allow George to rejoin this race here, does it set a little bit of precedent now of, oh, if you're just able to say, I was checking on the other guy in the crash... Yeah. So, you know, you have a crash and you're like, oh, this is too fucked to get back to the pit lane or it's off, the, the car's just stopped. What do you if you if you just jump out, run over to the other bloke to be like, You're good, mate? And then come back and be like, Well, you know, I only uh stopped to check on, you know, Davo. Davo Um So I I I don't think the FIA can really and this is that's the thing. I was bummed there was a very brief moment where they took the car off the truck and the Mercedes mechanics were all there, and I was like, oh my god, did they actually let him still be in the race? And yeah, because the Mercedes were appealing quite heavily. Um, we were very into it. But look, yeah, as a as a George fan, I'm like, they made the right call. It really sucks for George that he's unfortunately been effectively punished by the racing gods for doing a good deed. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that's the way the cookies crumbles, and yeah, as a George Russell fan, the right call was made here by the FAA. There's they have sure. no case to oh, I, I at all. To They've not done anything wrong. I tend to agree. Now, what I think the FIA fucked up was the next decision they made, which was to um, reset the starting grid there for our red flag restart. What do you make of this? This curious situation. No, I don't think so. That's um. It has. It's, I don't it, know whether. Oh. I don't know whether that's what the. I don't. Cause that's, I can't never remember because F one's restart rules and that always confuse me. Like I already think it's weird that we just have standing fixed restarts and that. But um, almost any other category I know of, that's commonplace. If you, for example, let's say in the supercars or whatever, if so you're just for those who don't know what happened, basically after the uh, sorry to cut you off after the. Red flag. There had been racing, so there had been over specifically like Lewis Hamilton had gone from P five to P three. Max Verstappen had taken the lead. We had about et cetera, four et cetera. Yeah, and instead of kind of taking that, I guess, as the grid for the restart, the FIA reset it to what the original starting grid would have been. So just qualifying with the three drivers who would retire: Giorgio and. Uh, Albon out. So, I like that. That's that's a negative impact on guys like Verstappen and Hamilton and Latifi uh, as well, who gained I think three or four spots, who then have to go back to where they originally were, having gained spots off the start in the first place. And it gives Science, for example, a second shot at retaining the lead off the start, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I just think it Absolutely. has a bit of an impact on the on, on the race there, you know. But. Oh yeah, but as I said, I think this is this is very standard motorsport. I think if I think I don't know whether that, but this is very standard motorsport precedent and other things. Certainly categories that I know, and I think most of them, like say for example, supercars. Mm -hmm. You're racing at Bathurst. I'm I'm leading the race. We've obviously this, and all of a sudden, um, heaven's fucking open. It starts pissing down as I'm going across the top of the mountain, 
Mm-hmm. And I crash out because I'm the first car to arrive on slicks on a soaking wet track across one of the most technical, tricky sections of motorsport on the planet. I sure. crash out. A couple of other guys crash in my end up coming in there crashing as well. And the red flag comes out. Now I've crashed out, but the way it works is they take it. If a red flag comes out, they go back to the running order the previous time over the start finish line. Mm-hmm. So even though I was the one who crashed out, I was leading the last time over the start finish line. If the race does not restart, I have won the race. Obviously, if the race restarts, I'm out. But say the race was to not restart, I have won. And okay. a lot of categories do that. I believe NASCAR does that. They will take it at the order at the um, previous point. So like if it's an instant red flag, often NASCAR, they'll caution it for a little bit and then they might run around for a lap and then they red flag it and then they will take it from the caution. But yeah, it's not an uncommon thing. If a red flag comes out, you go back to the running order one lap prior uh-huh. to the red flag happening so when the red flag comes out four corners into the race you basically just deem that the race never truly got underway and you just revert back to the start so i had i I had no issue with that very quickly on the grid because yes this is such a good race that i almost forgot about qualifying at all very quickly just notable points coming to that um so it was a very wet affected qualifying all three Mm -hmm. sessions were done on various compounds of i just think just all on inters pretty much um Zero pace from the Haas and the Astons. Both of them went out. Uh, Stroll was 20th, Mick 19th, Seb 18th, Kevin 17th. Oh, uh, yeah. Albon also went out, which at this point, Albon went out, and already we were going wild because Nicholas Latifi had out-qualified Alex <laughs> Albon. Nicholas <laughs> God Latifi. <laughs> um, but then Q2 rolled around, and Q2 was interesting because it sort of started out. It wasn't super raining at the start, so it was sort of getting better, but about halfway through, rain came back. And pretty much Latifi was, and this was a scary moment at this point, because at this point, when the rain would just started to come back up uh, as the track was drying, and so it was about to be, okay, you did your dying thralls of the best condition of the track, and then it's getting worse again. Signs wasn't in Q3 at this point. Signs first lap was like a write-off. So Signs was in danger of getting eliminated. Thankfully, after the rain came back, there was one last flying lap you could put in. Science got that in, jumped up, whatever. Pretty much the last card across the start-finish line on that lap was Nicholas Latifi, and he jumped up to wherever, and he shook it out, and he was sitting 10th. And then all the timing sectors started coming up yellow. No longer people were setting PBs. And yep. you started sinking, you're like, oh, my God. And, yeah, it just kept on raining, so there was that. And it was just, <laughs> yep, Nicholas Godtifi is through Nicholas Godtifi is back! Gasly, Ricardo, Ocon out. Yeah, so then Latifi there basically didn't even bother running a Q3 lap. But in amongst all the things, um, yeah, it was Carlos. So first lap rounds come through, and it was Verstappen who'd been showing the pace all through qualifying, who was at the top just ahead mm-hmm. of Charles. I think Carlos was like third or fourth, and I was like, oh, what can you do? But the second runs through, and Carlos... You know, the track seemed a little bit better. Carlos improved, jumped to P1. I was like, oh, that's nice, and that. And then just, I don't really know. Oh, someone, did Charles? Charles might have, Charles spun. And I think Verstappen was behind that. So he had to slow a little bit through sector two, which went yellow, which I guess was enough that um, he couldn't beat Sainz's time. And I was suddenly here like, holy crap, Carlos is on pole. Yeah. 
which is what I've been saying for ages needed to happen. The other big notable thing here was George wasn't able to put it together very well in the way that Lewis could. He only qualified eighth to Lewis's fifth. Uh, but yeah, it was a big, uh, interesting grid. Carlos on pole, as you've said, obviously now we're back to the point the race has reset. Now, the one last thing, I don't know whether you had it on your mind to talk about, but I think we do need to isolate that. While this was all going on and Joe was sliding upside down head first into a barrier and everything, there was protests. Yes, there was protesters. And we sort of, we'd had early warning of this, I believe, Nottinghamshire or... The North, yes, the Northamptonshire Police Northamptonshire, there you go. Um, okay, so Northamptonshire, that's where we are. For Silverstone, our police department had obviously caught wind that they had, um, yeah, that possibly there was going to be protesters who were going to attempt to enter the track during um, the Grand Prix and that, and they'd obviously advised, you know, ideally... Don't do that, and as <laughs> don't do out, that. Yeah, so first, that was their advice, first, yeah, mate. Just don't do that. First like. lap, first lap of the race. I don't know how many, but a number of persons entered the track um, on the Wellington Strait. Uh, and yes, thankfully, it's one of those things. As it turned out, thankfully, with Joe's crash, by the time the cars were coming out of turn four or five onto the Wellington Strait, the red flag had come out. Mm-hmm. Race was being neutralised. They were sort of backing off and things because the marshals were still very much trying to grab people and get people away from the track, we could have had cars coming through there at full speed. Um, Indeed. This is one of those things, I think, I mean, you know me, you know how left-wing my views are and how important I think climate action and things those are. And I'm all for protest all you want, fucking glue yourself to bridges and all that shit and interrupt traffic and public transport and fuck about people's mornings. I'll be a bit like, oh, this is annoying, but I'll respect that's your right. I'm really not going to get that annoyed at you. A live racetrack is just not the place to do it. It's just, it's a danger to yourself. It's a danger to the marshals who have a job to try to get you out of harm's way. It's a danger to the drivers and that it's a, you know, it's a sort of secondary risk to people spectating, people watching on TV for the trauma they might get if they see you get, you know, disemboweled by a Formula One car at 200 kilometers per hour. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's just not that. Like, I get all this thing. I know why you'd want to do it on the first lap because you want to do it once the race has started to try and force them to, like, stop and get the maximum interruption that. But honestly, like, jump the barriers five minutes before the race is scheduled to start and try to, like, glue yourself to the track or something. Because then they <laughs> can't start the race. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I the TV cameras aren't going to try to show you that. Because this was, like, an anti-oil group. And that's obviously, you know, righteous... You know, oil's not great for the environment. But Formula One literally announced a week prior that they are committing to going with um, sustainable fuel moving forward. <laughs> like, you know I what I mean? This is bad timing. Bad timing. I don't... Uh, yeah, I don't think it's specifically, like, on necessarily like that. It's more just... That's the thing. Formula One's a popular medium. It's like getting eyeballs to the core. Yeah, for sure. necessarily protesting that. Formula One itself. But, yeah, it's like... As a, it's just, by all means, protest. And I said, oh, you know, like, that's the thing. Hamilton and that said, I'm all for that. But, yeah, it's do it in a way that's going to be safe. Because in many ways, this is this is the thing. This is the difference between um, 
you know, peaceful protesting and rioting and it's one of those things. There are, there are, there are unique instances where I'm like, maybe I can, well, I don't say that, but I don't condemn rioting because I'm like, they've started rioting for a reason, but as big as, I don't think the need for climate action is at the point of risking yourself being li like literally like dismembered on um, international television. Mm -hmm. And that when, yeah, as I said, you know, get out there and try and glue yourself to the track or whatever, 10 minutes. Because, like, realistically, I don't think, I don't even think we saw any live camera shots of it. They didn't, because they were focused on the Joe Crash and that. And obviously, if it had been a live racetrack, we possibly might have done and that. But there's every chance as well, the second they knew spectators were there, they would have cut away. So it's not like they would have been getting TV time or anything for that. And you wouldn't get TV time if you glued yourself on... 10 minutes before the track. For but sure. what you would get is what they got for this, is you will get press coverage in the aftermath. Yeah, that's very and true. That, and you do the same thing. If you can if you can glue yourself onto the track in that, if anything, you'd delay the race for probably longer. Um, so, yeah. Like, I don't know. Not to say, like, I understand, I support the cause and that, but it's just, I'm... Because I know uh, Gary Lineker was going backwards and forwards with people. This, yeah, with Martin you know, Brundle, mate. They had a real back and forth. And I'm just like, again, like, I'm not, you know, I'm someone like that saying, like, I protest all you want in that, but like, I just, a live racetrack is just not, it's just not a good, it's just not the place to do it. Like, it's genuinely, it's yeah, dangerous sure. to so. We literally many, just saw how like, dangerous it can be, you know? Yeah. And like, that's the thing. If you're, if your protest, think, if your protest, protesting is about like disrupting stuff. It should not involve endangering other persons. I mean, ideally, you don't want to endanger yourself, but like, if your real protest shouldn't be endangering the lives of other people, and that, and you would, you would be endangering the lives of the drivers, and even more so, the marshals, and that, who are just volunteers, and that, and it's just yeah, mm. that's that's detrimental to your cause because. That's not a case of any any like any any coverage is good coverage. Like if you're out there and a marshal dies because he was hit by a car trying to keep a protester away from the track, that's just going to turn people against what you're trying to oh, the sure. important message you're trying to get across. Because then people will just be like, well, "You're a bunch of fucking twats." So yeah, I don't. Know. There's not too much really to say on this, other than it. You know, I think we can. I, well, I mean, obviously you're both in that voice, but I think we both agree. Good cause, terrible execution. Yeah, like, I agree with that. Too for much sure. else to say. And that, but you know, it had to had to be touched on. But uh, moving things back along to the race itself, let's talk. Let's talk Ferrari. Let's talk Carlos Sainz Jr. Verstappen got ahead of him at the first one. Carlos held him off the second time of asking, and then I believe after a few laps, Charles got by Max, or was it after the Red Bulls pitted first? Okay, let's do it then. So, Carlos had the lead. He covered off Max just about off the start, did a good job, and it was, yeah, those two driving their own race at the front there for a little bit. What um, happened was Carlos, <laughs> Carlos drove off the fucking track, mate. Carlos choked. He made a mistake. He let Max through. Oh, true. Through. Yes, yes. He made and that mistake through yeah. um, 
Which, in fairness, Max himself did several laps later. Well, Max's car started fucking up. This is the thing. At that point, when I saw oh, Science true. lock yes. up and and essentially give the lead to Verstappen, I was so ready to lambast him on this podcast. Like, so ready. But then, yeah, Max's car starts... Uh, I believe it was an AlphaTauri end plate that got stuck in his floor... And yeah, have it you up seen the picture bit. of him holding it? It's a yeah. pretty sizable piece of debris. <laughs> it's a fair piece of no fucking carbon in it, like. Yeah, and so oh, Max yeah. starts dropping down the grid. Carlos passes him. Well, yeah, earn, well, not earns, but Carlos is gifted the lead back again. And then you have for uh, oh, five or six laps, Carlos in the lead, Charles right behind him, and then Hamilton slowly yes, but surely gaining on them from behind. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think this is the first talking point we should touch on is... Yes. Look, I'll just say it. One of Ferrari team orders. I'll just say it. Charlie was faster than him by a considerable margin, despite damage to oh. Charlie's car. Carlos was not putting in the pace okay, that he needed mate, to. Mate, you can't call you can't call Charles Charlie when Carlos is also Charlie. They've literally both named Charlie. <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Okay, uh, Charles is fast. Was faster yeah. than him. Oh yeah, Char- Charles was faster, and he was Absolutely. making that point clear. And Ferrari were doing the whole. All right, well, Carlos put in this time. And then Carlos would fail to put in that time, and then they just give him another lap to put in that time. Like at that point, just let Leclerc drive, surely. And they waited too long for but it, I don't, and it gave I, Hamilton a window back into contention for this race. That they, they didn't did, need to do. Did, they, did at any point they ever actively say, "Charles, you can't pass him"? Like he was saying, "Oh, I'm faster in that." Like, they didn't tell Carlos to get out of the way, but I didn't hear them say to Charles, you can't overtake him. Like, Charles so was you're, you're saying that Charles should have just gone for the move anyway? I don't think he could. I don't think he was... I think this was one of those situations uh, like, Carlos was faster than Sergio in Monaco. Mm-hmm. Carlos was faster than Max the last six laps, ten laps in Canada. Mm. But two Ferraris here, I don't think Charles was... Fast enough, fast enough, you know, even with DRS in the straight to necessarily be able to make the move on Carlos. You don't think a part of that is, you know, Charles trying to hang back and and not try and, you know, cause a bit of drama there? Possibly not, but like... Trying to be the good teammate, trying to be the fissy teller? Unless unless Ferrari has basically said that the default situation, and maybe they have, like, away from the things behind closed doors, they've said to the drivers... The default situation is, unless we tell you over the radio you can race, you don't race. Yep. And that's possible. Um, but yeah, but I mean, at the same time, if you, if, if you, Char- and that's it, maybe Charles is too good of a bloke, but it's like, mm-hmm. if you really think you're that much faster, you just, well, so actually, to be, to be honest, because we'll get to that, um, if you feel that strongly about that, what they're telling you is wrong, you just ignore them. As science did it later like, on. I hate it. I hate. I hated it at the time as an Australian, and I've still got a grind. And considering the overall situation, the things I think it's a little bit of a different context than that, and it bugged me. But you know, twenty eleven or ten or whatever it was, um, multi twenty one in Malaysia and that mm-hmm. Red Bull gave the call to both the drivers that we hold the one two. It's Mark's win, and Seb was just like, "Fuck that! I'm faster than him." <laughs> Ignored it. Overtook. Overtook <coughs> Weber. Won the race, and then we get the infamous in the cool room, multi-21, Seb, multi-21. And then we get the, um... Oh, no, sorry, it's a, I think it's a different incident where Mark Webber slams down the uh, glass of water. Mm. 
But yeah, um, you know, that's the thing. Like you can just ignore the team orders, you know, as um, I don't always agree with it, but as a good friend of mine likes to say to me is um, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Mm. So you just you just do it. You just overtake him and ask the team and Carlos to please understand and you know forgive you and you'll who do says that make it up to him later down the line. Uh, Millie, wants to say it's easier to ask for. That's nice. Good for um, Millie. Shout out to not Millie. Not necessarily always in not always necessarily in like an entirely serious sense, but you know <laughs> I mean it's a fair point. Uh, in some circumstances, and this is one of them. Definitely, in this kind of thing, easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Because you ask for permission, that's all you know. Ask for forgiveness and, you know, people get over it eventually. That's the thing. I'm I'm not that salty about the whole multi-21 incident anymore. I'm like, yeah, well, the Seb was faster, you know. What can you do? For sure. Um, so, yeah. But, obviously, yes, at the same time, there was definitely... Oh, so now the fucking word Carlos is broken for me. But George <laughs> looks great again, so it's okay. Oh. Um, I, look, at yeah, this point, I thought things. Carlos was broken. Like, <laughs> yeah. I honestly, midway through Definitely, the race, was I, was, I was taking yeah. down notes just like, I'm going to roast the fuck out of Carlos Sainz this week. I'm going to oh, roast I can bet. the fuck out of bet. Carlos Sainz it's this definitely, week. This it's is embarrassing. It was an interesting This one, guy doesn't have the yeah. pace. He doesn't have the fucking oh. nuts to be a number one driver. He doesn't have the nuts to be a Ferrari driver. I, Get him the fuck I think out. That's that is, I think, see, I think that's just so ridiculous and you because your whole stance is you don't think he's good as Leclerc so of course he's not fast enough if you don't think he's a good as Leclerc you can't possibly expect him to be fast enough to hold him off (laughs) it is interesting it is interesting yes that Ferrari didn't just make the call of let Leclerc go Mm -hmm. I do think points to Leclerc he was for the most part I I think it was weird because we'll eventually we'll get around to it yeah but I'm assuming you've seen you've seen the photo. I've of seen Renato, the wag. Um, appear- Did Charles really? Now maybe no. Charles had come up to him afterwards and been like, "What the fuck was that?" But on the radio, I don't think Charles kicked up any of a stink. I thought Every he played he, the were- perfect teammate throughout this race. That's, I that's mean, the thing, like, because he was keeping me like, "Oh, guys, there. can he?" He, I think he kept all he he took the consistent line, you know, the consistent diplomatic line of not even just I need to. He never, I didn't even said I need to be let by Carlos. He was like. Carlos needs to go faster or I need to be let by. Yeah. And that he was happy for the... If Carlos can go fast enough that we're not in danger of getting that, he's in front of me, he can have the win, but he needs to go faster. Mm-hmm. And he he just endured with Carlos, as you said. Yeah, you're right. Carlos wasn't able to hit the lap time that they wanted him to for them to feel comfortable about Hamilton closing in on them. Hamilton was closing in. Um, Hamilton was fucking right oh, there. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah... That was it. Was an interesting. I don't think I'm surprised that they didn't make that call because Leclerc. And to be honest, this is one point where oh, most of the. But it's interesting because I was about to say this is one of those points where you need to say that to Leclerc. This is where it's critical that he's the points he's let go begging this season because he's not yes. as firm of a champion. Their number one championship, but most of, a lot of his points that have gone missing have been not his own fault. It's been mechanical. So, that's but that's the thing. If he was in a more commanding position in the championship, there was a point in this season where he was clearly their guy for the championship. I don't know the exact... Well, I mean, obviously, factoring in this, Ralph, I'll have a quick look now, but I just don't think he's in as commanding of a position over Carlos now. Um, let's have a I think look he see. is, personally. He's only ele- he's 11 points ahead of Carlos, oh, which yeah. means he was probably about 
25 points ahead of Carlos. And one race win in front isn't commanding of enough for them to necessarily sure. absolutely go. You're the guy for the championship. You get to go through. I, Unless yeah, you're a team should, that's fully committed to the one-two driver model. I should commit. Like, I, I don't think he's in a commanding position by any means. Commanding is the wrong word. I still think he's the right guy for them to back moving oh, forward. That's possibly, absolutely. But it's difficult It's difficult when you do have someone like Carlos who there is a case to be made that he's possibly, you know. And yes, we weren't. he wasn't hitting the lap time here. But we literally both agreed in Canada he was showing. Mm. He was he was as racy, if not racier, than the guy who's probably going to win the championship Absolutely. the year, Verstappen in Canada. So, you know. And, and shout out for the qualifying lap here as well. He fucking spectacular. But, yeah. Yeah. After this, when so, they yeah, pitted that him was, to that whole situation, through and he came back out, he was yeah. pretty irrelevant, to be honest. He wasn't, he wasn't going to win this race. Uh, on his own oh, merit. I wouldn't have said he was irrelevant, but he was he was gonna just contentedly finish second behind Charles. Yeah, like let's if he was if, in he was in no yeah he was in no danger once they were on that he was still I don't think he was in huge danger from Hamilton himself. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, once Charles had cleared him, Charles had this race comfortably under control. Absolutely. Just to make my feelings uh, clear, then, I think if they pit. If they pit, when when Ocon stops on track and, and we have our reset and everyone goes back in for softs and whatnot, oh, yeah. if they pit both cars for softs or if they oh, choose Charles to pit wins. Both, yeah, exactly. No, not, a, not a question about that. Absolutely. And that was the confusion because obviously when it first came out, I'll be 100% honest with you, I was sitting here going like, oh, I don't really know, but I was like, oh my God, please, please let this just be one of these fuck things where Charles has just passed the fucking pit entry, but <laughs> no. Carlos can come in. And but no, and then it happened that Colin Carlos pit, and I was like, oh, but no, it's just, just they had 11, 11 seconds of decision time, mm-hmm. and they didn't call Charles in, but they called Carlos in. It's fucking which weird. is, and like, it's not even the splitting the strategy bit that's weird. That's that's reasonable enough. Um, but it's it's the, but, the the man they chose to go on to the better strategy. Yeah, and I guess and that's the thing. And I guess the questionable decision here either did they consult Charles and he said I'd rather stay out on the no. hard, which I'm sure we would have heard that communication. So to me, either they were yeah, baffling and they just had a weird panic brain failure brought Carlos, or in their head they thought that so maybe they I think maybe in their head they didn't expect everyone else to come in. No, no, they, they thought, thought the hard would have been better. Carlos on the soft, they thought, yeah. So they, they, they I've, got, it, the, I've got the quotes here if you'd like. Okay, cool. Because I was about to say, I was about to postulate. To me, this means that they thought that remaining on the hard would actually be the better strategy, mm-hmm. which is why they gave that to Charles. So they're just fucking idiots. Yeah, so... Like, in what universe was that going to be the best option? <laughs> they thought... Yeah, let's hear the quotes. So they asked, they asked Leclerc, uh, well, they told Leclerc, all right, do this, and he responded, well, that's going to be tough. What is the tyre difference? And the response from his engineer is that they expect the soft to be half a second faster initially, but to quickly degrade. So they expected Leclerc to drop off and then come back on later and get the win. That's what they thought would happen. In reality, the softs were about a second quicker than the hards rather than half a second and they didn't actually degrade all that much Man, at all. Half a, half a second on already worn hards completely fresh spot. Exactly. It just Softs are meant to have way more of a pace advantage than that. Especially like, with the cars on a low a good... fuel load and the track nicely yeah, rub it in. Um, it's just, it's just fucking bad, stupid. Honestly, yeah, by the point that decision got made, this is when I was like, oh my god. It might be about to happen because I was like, he should, he just, you know, 
he should have enough to be able to clear him. Yeah. Um, and then obviously there was the second instance of Ferrari team orders, and this one honestly, if you thought, I I know maybe you'll disagree, but I'm like, the first okay, the first team, the first set of team orders was probably wrong, mm-hmm. but this one. Wasn't necessarily. Oh, were they told Carlos to back up ten car lengths? This one, <laughs> this one was more confusing and illogical because it was just like, in what universe was this sensible? Honestly, because yeah, it was just like so daft. Um, because as he was, he was right. All that was gonna do was make him, a, and that's the thing. As people, a few different commentators and something said, if either of Hamilton or Perez had cleared Carlos, uh-huh. they'd have won the race. And Ferrari wouldn't have the win. Mm-hmm. The bet, kind, and that's it. So I'm actually exactly not even from his selfish point of view. Carlos made the right call here for the whole sake of at least Ferrari get a win because he put it in a position where either he, you know, oh yeah, absolutely, the best possible, the best possible chance for him to be able to win, which meant in theory it was the best possible chance that either he won or Charles won. Yeah, because even with even with ten car links, with the pace and that. 10 car links, they would have fucking closed that. They would have all closed oh, yeah. that to Leclerc by the end of the first <laughs> lap. So, yeah, he made that call. I can't remember exactly whereabouts he got past Charles. Oh, instantly. Within instantly. a few laps. It's, it was, was, it, was, it, was it, on the first lap. The fir- first lap. Yeah, yeah, within that first lap. He made the move past Charles. Now, we'll circle back. Charles, we go on to have a mighty battle with uh, Lewis and Sergio. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But yeah, he was through, and from that point, thanks to Leclerc doing a sterling job of not just bending over and surrendering to the other two, he was able to check out to a several-second lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, it was Cruising. pretty comfortable sailing for him. Uh, huge amount of relief for Carlos, I bet. For myself, I was ecstatic at this point. And yeah, he crossed the line um, to become a Formula One race winner on his 150th start. I know. For a second consecutive Moving race, him, a driver starting his 150th Grand Prix took victory from pole. Yeah. Love it. Genuinely, I have, I'm have. i trying to remember back and why Verstappen's raced one more race than Sainz, and I'm like, did Sainz miss a race at some point? Because I'm positive they debuted in the same race. I'm very... I need to... In my own personal time, try and figure that out. But very confused by it. Must have. Um, but I digress. Uh, maybe he missed a race with the Renault Exodus. I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> um, but yeah, he's 150th race start. I think start, he missed a race right now. in McLaren with COVID, maybe. No? That seems quite plausible. Lord knows. Uh yeah, but um, it means he's now second. We discussed this last podcast about the ways things works with you're only on the most races without a win list until you win a race, and then you I find yourself somewhere well. on the most races to win a race list. Mm-hmm. And he did that. He went from being and yeah, he went well. He went from I can't remember where exactly. He might have been. He may I, no. He wouldn't have been leading the most races without a win list. I'm pretty sure that's Heidfeld or whatever. But he was obviously he was what he would he moved up to. Fourth, we talked about last race. He moved up to fourth on the most podiums without a win list. Mm -hmm. He's off that now. And now he sits nicely in second place on the most races to first win list at 150, behind Perez on 190, and I believe ahead of Weber on 140. Um, Fascinating fact I discovered looking at this list. If you take... I'm assuming you've probably seen the screenshot or whatever of the top 10. Uh, Um, No, I don't think so. I have, but... If you want to do a quick... 
have a have a quick. I can't do it. Well, I'll do that. I just think I, it's nice that uh, Perez, who has the record with 190, got to stand on the podium next to Carlos, who's now second with 150. That is also true. Very cute. <clears throat> just a few fun facts. Science, the second Spanish race winner of all time in in getting that dub. Obviously, Alonso was the other man. And it gave Ferrari their 15th Silverstone win at the circuit on which they won their first ever championship race back in 1951 with Jose Froilan Gonzalez. What a man. Perfect. Here we go. Okay. So it's Sergio Perez at 190, Sainz 150, Weber 130, Barrichello 123, Trulli 119, Button 113, Rosberg 111. Hakkinen. 96 and Thierry Bootsen 95. That's the top 10. Now, what I found fascinating here is of that top 10, five of the top six, well, three of the top six, I would probably put amongst my top five all time favorite Formula One drivers. Mm-hmm. Four of the top six, I'd probably put amongst my top 10. And five of the top six, I'd say, are probably top 15. Only Yano truly doesn't rate as one of my, like, all-time favorite Formula 1 drivers. But, like... He's a legend. I'd probably have Sainz, Sainz, Weber, Jensen, all top five all-time favorite drivers for myself. And they're second, third, and sixth on the most races to first win list. And Perez would be in my top ten. And he's the most. Which I just found to be an incredibly novel... Um, statistic you just love a good underdog man you love a good underdog apparently (laughs) apparently um but yeah so yeah signs has won a grand prix and obviously you could tell it meant a lot to him you could see his emotions a big weight off the shoulders uh, i reckon the car what was that sorry a big weight off his shoulders i reckon like the way oh Oh, a huge weight off his shoulders Mm. uh for me as a carlos fan Absolutely massive. As we said, the most um, accurate tweet I'd seen all year before this weekend was the, it's really, it must be really hard to be a Carlos Sainz fan this year. And it has been a fucking brutal year (laughs) to be a Carlos Sainz fan. Um, But now, as far as I'm concerned, it's a fucking excellent year to be a Carlos Sainz fan. Obviously, I want him to be stay competitive and be competitive in this championship. But even if he doesn't, even if his career just falls off a massive cliff now and he's out of the category he's for the next three that. years, he will always, as I, as I said about Esteban Ocon and why I graded uh, in the mid-season grades and that, I gave Esteban, last year I gave Esteban Ocon an A+, plus, even though he'd been shit outside of that one race win. For the rest of your life, you're an F1 race winner. It doesn't matter what the fuck happens to you for the rest of that. You will always have won an F1 race. You've done it. You've ticked that but surely, off. is this not an F1 race win Ocon. with an asterisk? Like, he's not winning the race if we're not for Ocon's little retirement, and he's not winning the race no, for Ferrari. No, because it's not, it's no, it's not, it's not, it's not an, I don't even think Gasly's gets, uh, but that's because it's one of those things. You know, you know that time um, Lee Ellis did that thing where he <laughs> asterisks <laughs> every single, every single, but you know, remember, remember when he did the thing where he asterisks every single NBA title going yeah, back yeah, like yeah. 50 years or something? Yeah. I can asterisk ev- I can find an asterisk for every single F one race if you want me to. Like that's just that's it is it is professional sport. Shit happens, mm. and there's circumstances outside people. That, you just can't go around putting asterisks on things because like every race has asterisks. Then this was a unique like, race, you know. Though. And I, okay, look, I will say he's oh, not a championship contender for but, me until he gets a genuine like error free, unabashed racing win. Oh. Absolutely, no, no doubt about it, no doubt about it. But like, 
yeah, that's the thing. We weren't we weren't dwelling on well, the, none of us were dwelling on the asterisks of Gasly's win. Oh, for sure, um, because Gasly doesn't have the same expectations. Only, only, only Spencer, because he's a muppet, was trying to put an asterisk on Perez's win and dwell on that fact. Um, his <laughs> Bahrain win, famous, but famous yeah, argument, yeah. will go down in history as one of the best of all time. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, well, good thing he's not here to try and fire me up about Carlos or something. But yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, I'm happy to say he didn't prove he wasn't looking the most dominant car of the race. But I, mean, I could also argue an alternativeness. Um, if I'm saying that I think that Carl Charles was faster, but not at a level to that, I'm think I'm willing to believe that Charles wasn't making a move, not because he was holding back trying to make a move, because he just wasn't quite in a spot to be able to properly make a move, mm-hmm. but he wanted Carlos out of the way because he had more overall lap pace. Um, I'll make you the case this. Um, they should have pitted Carlos the lap after they pitted Charles because I think the... I, I'd be interested to see paces, but I'm possibly they um, Carlos in first. lap. No, I know. Oh, you mean and I'm saying that's arguably the wrong thing. Because I... No, 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 no when they did that first set of pit stops, because I'm right. making the case that I think that the in-lap um, on the already at-temperature tyres, possibly faster than the out-lap on... Because I think, actually, I think everyone was a little bit slow the first one or two laps on those hards, because it takes a little bit longer. So I think people's in-lap on the worn tyres was faster than the then out-lap on the cold tyres, which actually meant it was an overcut situation where you go one lap longer... And spent, which we saw in the F2, and obviously we saw here, Carlos Charles stayed out a lap or two longer, paid off for him. Yeah. Now, who knows for sure, and that maybe Charles was just that much faster, his outlap would have been enough. But I'm making the case that I think it should have been Carlos getting to pit second because that was the better situation, and in which case he may well have still come out in front of Charles, and then it would have been situation the same. Charles was obviously faster, but not fast enough to get past Carlos, and Carlos wins the race. So... You can Maybe. make you can make my my point my point there being yeah there's a hypothetical you can, for every you can, situation you can manipulate things around everywhere and make the point to be whatever you want it to be so yeah but yes. yeah at the end of the day the record books show and in ten years time we'll just remember that this is the day Carlos won his first race but let's skedaddle things on I could talk about Carlos and winning all day long but we've got <laughs> other stuff to talk about now we mentioned Ocon actually I'm going to change around the order of this a little bit okay let's talk about Alpha Tauri and then we'll talk about Mick and then we'll use Alpine to segue into every um other people's pace and, and that so Alpine well, we'll be oh, sorry, on for a little bit as well because yeah, yeah, that's that, in that's so. in Alpine segueing into that. That's cool. where we'll bundle all cool, that cool, stuff cool. up. So Alpha Tauri, bit of a fucking nightmare. Uh, it has to be said. Obviously, both cars involved in. Is that Gasly was in the Russell Joe part of the lap turn one incident. Uh, Sonoda got caught up in the Albon part of the turn one incident. Yes. Uh, so they're already off to a completely shithouse start to their day. It's worth said. They got both now, cars running and both cars had you know, were driving, were making their way through the grid, yes. were making some progress. Now, um, I don't know whether I was just sort of up and doing other things or whether I had a bit of a zone out and that or whether there's just so much else has gone on in this race that I've not taken in. Uh, I'm 
did something happen involving both AlphaTauri's later in the race or something? Did I miss something? Dude, they crashed into what? each other. Okay, see, I have no recollection of this. <laughs> Where? What corner? When? <laughs> like, around the same time as the Carlos uh, is too slow and Charles needs to get past. So they weren't really focusing on it very much. And I think this is a story that would absolutely get more airtime if the race wasn't as epic as it was. Because it was a noble yes. incident. Essentially, Yuki went for an overtake down the inside. I forget which corner. But he fucked it completely and took them both out of the race. Yuki would get penalised five seconds. Gasly would then just run around at the back. of. I, I forget if either of them retired. But regardless, they wouldn't score points when Gasly was looking at least points. They were both looking tangentially points relevant. You know, they were in and around the conversation. Could very well have saved their weekend to a certain degree, to a certain extent. But alas, My microphone. Yuki completely biffed it. Fucked it up for everyone involved. How much of that was due to the damage he sustained during lap one? Who knows? Regardless, he probably shouldn't have made... Well, yeah, we want anyway. to postulate that we'll give him the benefit of the doubt that it was half of his car that was stuck under Max Verstappen's <laughs> rather than half of Pierre's. It but... could very well have been both. Maybe it was half of Yuki's end plate. Maybe it was half of Pierre's end plate. Combined into one end plate. I have zero memory of this crash, but yeah, that's into um turn, turn three. Okay. Um, so they'll come through, yeah, turn one, turn three, into the turn three just before that. Yeah, he just goes for a move of the inside and loses the car, spins out into Gasly, and then spins Gasly around. I have literally, like, I figured I'd watch the footage and be like, oh, yeah, I have no, you know, you know that bit in, um, Fellowship of the Ring where they go into the Mines of Moria and they get in there and then Gandalf's like, I have no memory of this place. That's me right now. I have no memory of this crash. You're dropping in a fucking. I have. <coughs> fucking hell. There's man Zero memory with the Lord of the crash, Rings but... reference. That's the way to do it. <laughs> there, you... there you go. Um, yeah, they had a crash, and that was 100% Yuki's fault. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not a good day for Alpha. Not a. No, no. It's shit day. Like, at this point, Lando Norris is doing enough to drag McLaren around. On his little backside there to keep them relevant. AlphaTauri are the most disappointing team of the season so far with this result. They, they are in a dire... Ever since Gasly's P6 and Sparku, they are in a dire run of form and they need to turn it around. Quick smart. And to be honest, Gasly's, Gasly's P6 in Baku was like a anomalous result for this season. That's rather than thing. his usual... Of, hey, look, Gasly's had another great top 10. But it's he's had none of them this season. Apart from Baku, maybe one other, but like yeah. nothing springs out particularly. Every time something it's good weird. happens, like Yuki has a good drive or Gasly gets a, a nice Q3 appearance, you think, all right, this could be it. They can string in a few performances here. But it's just once, and then they go back to being underwhelming the week after. They just cannot find consistency. And they should. With that Red Bull engine, you'd think they should be much more relevant than they are. It's quite disheartening, Matthew. It's quite disheartening. I can't lie. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, for you as a big Gasly fan, that's got to be... Exactly. Yeah, worrying. Worrying scenes. Um, but yeah, let's now talk, uh, Mick Schumacher, because in amongst all this craziness and after the, well, the Alpha, well, a bunch of people crashed at the start, mm -hmm. the Alpha Tauris took each other out, Ocon's car stopped, that restart mm -hmm. came up, and all of a sudden I looked at the timing sheets and I was like, oh... Mick's in 10th. <laughs> and then he overtook, I think, Vettel and also Magnussen or whatever. And so, yeah, he was up to... And then he was sitting 8th. And I was like, oh, here we go. We're on. Yeah, hell yeah. It's finally happening. There's not that many laps left. 
all he has to do is get it to the finish. And then I think, <laughs> I'm sorry, you can have, but you, you have to crave the props to make for this, I think. Because if there's one thing you bang about about wanting to see drivers and that, it's you want to, like, think, think, you want to see them, you know, push and race and try and be competitive, not going oh, yeah. out to fight. Mick could have, Mick could have happily sat back and just potted around and conserved it for his eight. But this man, who has made several mistakes from points oh, yeah. this season and not that, he was willing to risk it all to get two more points and pass Max Verstappen at the end there. And, oh, it was hot in the mouth stuff for me because there was a couple of times I was like, mate, hey, don't tangle with the fucking championship leader. <laughs> more than that, Mick. Mick, don't run into Max and take yourself out from a point-scoring place again. I know. Like, don't do this to us. Um, but he didn't. He went. He couldn't quite find a way past Verstappen, which isn't surprising. Even because again, the big thing is even an ailing Red Bull. Max was struggling to get that car around corners. Oh, dude, the car was strong. I'm, I'm impressed he managed to hold on to so, P7 like at all. He yeah, wanted to retire. You could tell over the radio that Max wanted yeah. to retire, but they they were kept. It they told always... him. They told him like, Nah, man, the damage isn't yeah. critical. You can keep running it around. We can still score points here. It's damage limitation. Come on. Yeah, for sure. Always going to be a huge uphill battle for Mick to be able to get past him because of, like, a not huge straight-line advantage. Mm-hmm. But in some of the technical sections, he, you know, he went, he tried to go alongside him through, like, the last, um, the Vale chicane at the end of the lap a few times, and that, literally the last time by, he didn't, he was pulling side-by-side, side and I was deathly terrified that the car was about to, like, break loose and just slide into Max and take them both <laughs> out of the last fucking corner. But he didn't, and he crossed the line, and he came home eight, and he scored four points, and so it's a double whammy. Carlos gets the monkey off his back about, um, yeah, getting that first race win, and Mick um, gets his first F1 points, making it, for me, if it wasn't for the fact that George had one of the most um, weird DNFs in his, F1 His history. first ever lap one um, retirement in his short career for George Russell, <laughs> His first race this season without finishing that—that yeah. was the real heartbreaking. It wasn't just the George DNF. I was like, "Oh, the streak is over." Yeah, like this must be what it was like to see the Undertaker lose at WrestleMania for the first time. I don't think the streaks are that like, oh. are quite that comparable. But yeah, no, I think I think George's eight race eight race top five streak is the same as the Undertaker's um thirty or whatever twenty five and something mm. um. 17, whatever, however, however many fucking matches it was. Uh, undefeated <laughs> streak. Mm. Completely the same. But yeah, for me, super fucking awesome. As we know, Carlos, Carlos George, toss up for my favorite drone on the grid yeah. these days. Mick is currently probably sitting number three. So that happening. Carlos win, mix points in the same race. Uh, very, very satisfying, vindicating. And just knowing that I could walk into a pod, the podcast for once with me being the one with the high ground and on the front foot and not having to worry about trying to defend my boys from your um needling I'm, what do you mean <laughs> uh, i'm not i'm not <laughs> i'm not, year, I'm not calling it took every single podcast to roast me about aston martin and lance stroll mate it's all fair in oh, love yeah, and war I, it's, mate fair is I, fair i i i, 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 I Hey, I I didn't say I didn't say it was unwarranted needling. I was just saying it's a nu- it was a nice feeling knowing we could go into this podcast and I wouldn't have to worry about trying to deal with not losing my call when you come attacking Mick or whatever. Oh, yeah. They didn't do anything wrong. No, they he, ticked all the boxes. George DNF, but George got a 
George got like a good karma, wholesome DNF. So everyone ticked all the boxes today. Hell yeah. No, I'm very think happy Mick, with how Mick the boys totally performed. It, Mick totally earned it. He, uh, oh, absolutely. Having qualified 19th, the fact that he obviously inherited a few places at the start there, but he, he worked his way through the grid. Oh, for sure. He managed that, his that, That's well. the thing. Do I get to talk about yeah. it or no? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Come on. Sorry. Sorry. <sighs> Alright, let's start again. He earned, his, he, he earned those points, and I think I can't really do anything but praise him. You know, I can. There are enough nuances with the Carlos Science win that I can kind of, you know, have a bit of a needle. But with Mick, no, totally fair. Yeah. He uh, he earned his way back up to P10 on the restart, and then he made a few overtakes that he needed to do, and he balls to the wall. He tried to take on Max Verstappen. Fuck yeah! Is his job done this yeah. season? No. No? He's still got... He, he, you reckon he needs no. a few more points finishes to, to kind of oh, affirm his place now, in the... To be honest, I, I'd argue completely... Now that Mick has scored points, um, to me, this is the expectation now on any track that the Haas is... Look, like, obviously, if we roll out of the track and the Haas is fucking qualify, you know, 19th, 20th, I'm not that yeah. bothered if Mick scores points. But, like, if, it's, if, if Kevin is... Floating around the points, I expect Mick to be floating around the points. Okay. Um, that's the thing. The monkey's off the back. That's that. Yeah, I, I, I hold that level of expectation. Obviously, he's growing and he's still going to make. And that's the thing. I'm not bothered if he makes mistakes in that. But I'm like, I still. That's the thing. I think Mick has the potential of being a much better F1 driver than Kevin Magnussen could have hoped to be. I think Mick has a long future in this sport if he plays his cards right and lives up to what I know he has to offer. For sure. So I have high expectations for him. My expectation for him is to, yeah, con- you know, regularly get the best out of this car. And that's the thing. I'd like to think now that he's done that, he'll be, yes, he should hopefully be able to be a little bit more relaxed now. And so the little pressure mistakes of when you get in these spots and you're like, oh God, this is my chance. This is my chance to possibly be able to do it. Okay. Hopefully won't be there now. And he'll be able to be a little bit smoother and more consistent. But yeah, I definitely, I want, several more point scoring finishes okay. to bring home the season and solidify him, you know, and shore himself up for remaining on the grid for next season and going forward. So he needs to take this and run with it, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I tend to agree. Okay, beautiful. That's what we yeah. like the fucking yeah. here, boys. And and, and that, that circles, that's the same with Carl. Like, I'm not expecting Carlos to come out here and win races and if, he just, if he's not able to match the raw pace of Verstappen and... Leclerc week in a week out, sure, but I want Carlos to, to take this and run with it now, mm-hmm. and certainly solidify himself and not having some of these ones where he's back even further than you expect to be. He is, you know, at worst fourth, but I did in theory ahead of Perez and at least trying to apply some pressure to Verstappen, at least up in a spot where Red Bull have to Red Bull can't just have free choice of strategy because they've got to. For sure. Make sure that they're not letting Carlos somehow slip by him. That's because he's got this monkey off his back now. The same level of pressure shouldn't be there. So I want to be seeing the best of Carlos now, week in and week out. Yep. Agreed. Uh, but on to let's sort of bundle this all into one sort of big thing of uh, Alpine's strong pace they showed this weekend. Uh, the resurgence, uh, sort of resurgence slash solidification of the recent resurgence of pace we've seen from Mercedes and Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And how that all came together along with um, Monsieur Sergio Perez, Charles Leclerc, and Lando Norris to give us one of the best F1 battles we've seen in a very long 
time. Hell yeah. So I'll 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 let you talk a little <gasps> bit more about the Alpine pace to get things going, I think. You're throwing to I'll... me? To Jashar? Yeah, I've thrown to you before. Alrighty, I mean, I probably let's not done do it. This episode, but I throw it to you. Alright. Obviously, Alpine, disappointing day for Esteban Ocon, to say the least. Um, I think the highlight of Ocon's day was the fact that he simply managed to get the car around the track after that first lap crash and, and go running. But alas, he would end up retiring anyway and give us that last 10 lap scenario that was just so juicy. But on the other side of the spectrum, you had Fernando Alonso, who came home fucking fifth. Alpine's best result of the season so far. Worth noting that Alonso made special comments about the upgrade package that Alpine brought in to this weekend. I believe this was one of those packages they've been meaning to kind of bring in for a while, but they held off on it because of the budget cap situation and the fact that, you know... Bloody budget caps. Teams can't really spend as much as they normally can, but regardless, that Alpine looked pretty fucking good. And, you know, he beat Lando. That's that's the rivalry, right? It's oh, yeah. Alpine versus McLaren, and he beat Lando pretty cleanly, despite all the crazy driving that was going on, to take that P5. And while Alpine is still behind on the standings, I think it's only a matter of time before they leapfrog McLaren based on form, because oh, McLaren yeah. have a certain Ricardo-sized hole that's just dragging them down. You know? Ocon retires, Fernando. would have scored points, but instead he retires. Ricardo finishes the race, but just doesn't score points. He just doesn't. Yeah. And Fernando is faster than Lando. Eight. And he's definitely faster than Ricardo. Oh yeah. Nando on Lando. So uh yeah. Fernando is faster Alpine, than Alpine have two drivers, which is nice. It's always nice to have two drivers. Yeah. But regardless Absolutely. Yeah, that was fucking awesome. Especially like it, the fight you mentioned between Lewis and um, Perez and Charles was already so juicy. And then I think it was Crofty on the call. And arriving on the scene, well, of course he is. It's Fernando Alonso and my penis got erect. It was spectacular. Uh, how good how, how good is that visual down? I think it was the hangar straight. Oh, and yeah. It's, I can't remember the exact order of the first three, but you've got Hamilton, Leclerc, and Perez there. And right behind them, it's Alonso and it's Norris. Mm-hmm. It is literally a five-car battle between... Five different drivers. Awesome. And there's that shot as well on probably um, the first lap of the race and you have the two pairings of Red Bull and Ferrari side by side, slightly off centre from each other through turn four mm. and right behind them, Hamilton's there as well and Alonso's there and Norris is there. And yeah, it really just epitomised uh, this race. And yeah, um, big thing, really strong showing for Mercedes, wasn't oh, it? Dude. So. Hamilton, was Hamilton, Hamilton, particularly in his his intra team battle with uh, Russell, mm-hmm. and obviously we know the factors that led to Russell not being in the race. But like, yeah, they 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 seem to be on the ball in Canada, and this is now backed it up. So I think this is okay. Canada wasn't an outlier. Mercedes is there uh, or there back about, at the level of like that, but I think Mercedes is now happily. Week in and week out, the third strongest car on the grid. Yeah, well, this was and this was Hamilton's argue... first. Just real quick, this was Hamilton's first back-to-back podium uh, of the season because he obviously podium in Canada as well. Yeah, and I think the question, I, I think he will win a race this season because people have been talking. You know, will this be Hamilton's first ever winless season in F one? No, I think he'll definitely win a race at some point. 
Um, I think if they didn't screw up that pit stop of his later on, he would have had better track position coming into the restart, for example. Yeah, Could absolutely. have made a huge difference if they didn't shuffle around the grid at the very start after he'd gained a few places off of the first race start. Could have made a huge difference. Also very fair. So, you know, with factors against him, he still raised... He, he drove very, very well to get that podium, and I think oh, the no. grid should be worried about Mercedes' pace. And also, fucking oh, shout-out no, no. to think, Perez I'd... for coming from P17 all the way back up into that fight to give us what was spectacular driving. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, as well. but Yeah, because I'd, I'd add to think, I think it's they're comfortable with the P3 now, and I think there's probably... I'd argue that I reckon on a week-in, week-out um, basis now and not with everyone all bunched up behind Charles on softs and things like that, mm. I'd say that probably feels like Mercedes now is closer in pace to Red Bull and Ferrari than they are in pace to Alpine. That's fair. So I, I would say they're P3 closer to P2 than they are P4. That's very fair. Um, which means they're more back up into the title fight than they are in that midfield battle. They've left the midfield battle now, and they're already more than halfway across to bridging back up to the title fight pace bracket. Mm. Um, which, at the end of the day, as much as it's like, oh, no, this brings Hamilton back into relevance, which is devastating, it can only be a good thing. It's good to have another team up there, oh, yeah. and if it's bringing Hamilton into proper race-winning contention... That means it's bringing George in there as well because George has already proved that he can easily go toe-to-toe with Lewis. If Lewis is capable of winning a race in the car, George absolutely is too. And Hell yeah. that would be super fucking exciting because... And the more still, battles, yeah, like we've still not seen a George. Life. We've still not seen a George Russell race win because, well, obviously, because um, bloody Sakir happened. <laughs> and it was fun for all parties involved. Oh, iconic. Particularly Sergio Perez. Iconic uh, banter. But yeah, and that, obviously, the Mercedes return pace and our pain and notice that, that led us to that battle um, at the end between chiefly Leclerc, Perez, and Hamilton. Do you have do you have notes on that to actually talk us through it? Or... Uh, for Not necessarily dot points, but I think the fact that Leclerc made it such a fucking fight was spectacular. I think... That kind no of doubt. driving is why Ferrari should back him in more so than they did in this race. And I also think that the lambasting Bonotto gave him on public TV after the case was fucking... Re- like, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, that was... Because Leclerc doing that and holding up Perez and Hamilton plays a big role in Science's win. Like, you can't really deny that. Like, it definitely helps. Like fuck, Mattia Bonotto. I'd be fascinated. I'd be fascinated to know what Car- what Charles must have said or been saying or whatever. Because mm. yeah, as I said, like I didn't hear him say anything on the radio. He didn't do anything wrong driving wise. So it feels oh. like he must have come up to them after the race and been like, oh, "I want to please explain." And Fair. Know, yeah, weird. But um, I do think the one. That was interesting, and I'm just I'm just worried that I'm misremembering this battle with one of like the F two or F three battles. But when Hamilton got, didn't like all or well, half of them or all three of them drive off the track at the last corner because <laughs> yeah. they went side by side through the veil chicane. A bunch and of made, them went off the corner, yeah, yeah, and it was like, oh, did, have they gained a position off the track? Well, not really. Let's just keep letting them drive. <laughs> yeah, because that was because it wasn't because Perez. 
he and Perez went side by side down from Stowe mm. or something. And then if you've got, and because he, he was able to, oh yeah, Perez was DRS up him, got alongside him. He did a really good job to hold it, I believe, around the outside of Stowe, which is impressive, which meant he then back on the inside for the veil, first part of the veil chicane. And you're kind of able to just then, if you're on the inside and high enough up, take the racing line and sort of escort them out of track so they have to back off. Mm-hmm. But Perez kind of held in. That's think Perez kind of went held in it and went off the track and cut through the then left hand part of the chicane. Yeah, which meant when he came back onto the track, his angles were along that, and that forced him wide out of it. Which also then meant Charles had to be forced off the track, which is then how Hamilton all slipped by them, and it all. And at that point, I was a bit like, "Oh, come on, Perez." And so I don't know. It was all. It's a case to be made that Perez. Probably, and I think I've seen. Seems like a bit of the F one community is a bit annoyed with. Oh, when it comes to the FI investigating Red Bull, never anything happens. Oh, for God's sake, like, grow up! All right, unless uh, unless unless your profile picture is literally like Fernando Alonso in an Alpine race suit or something, and I'm happy that you're genuine neutralist. I'm like, you're probably just some Brit who's like, oh, Red Bull never gets punished. I'm going to ignore all the times that Mercedes and Hamilton got. Like, so many of the top teams, they just get away. Like, what? Yeah. that's the thing. It's not... There's no rampant favoritism. There may be favoritism of the big teams over the little teams, but there's not special shit. Like, Mercedes and Hamilton got away with so much shit as well. Of course. It's annoying. That's the thing. It's annoying. That's the thing. And it's, in most, it's most annoying for me. For me... As a kind of neutral, because I don't like Mercedes or Red Bull. Sometimes I like their individual drivers. I like I like Perez. I love George Russell, mm-hmm. but like as a neutral, that's a thing. Um, shit like this annoyed me immensely when Mercedes was fully on top, and I was kind of happy when Red Bull last year got away with things because it was beneficial to a, hopefully Verstappen dethroning Hamilton. Yeah. But as I've said, now that now that Red Bull's the one that's sort of back on top and more up there and not the new kid on the block in Ferrari, I'm fast getting over Christian Horner. I'm over Max Verstappen. I'm more annoyed if Red Bull has things go in their favour. But, you know, it, it goes to both sides of the fence and that. But, yeah, I was I, I kind of think I'm, you know, I was temporarily annoyed at the moment and that, but yeah, I'm, I'm just glad they let the boys race. Hell yeah. And it was... Great racing, and yeah, made for great visuals and multiple different times where we had cars going. So I think it was genuinely like this week because uh, I think we've had some brilliant two car side by side battles the last few years. Hamilton, um, Alonso at Hungary in twenty twenty comes to mind, and that Russell. But this is the first time, like, mo- yeah, Perez multi- Hamilton. When was there? A, was there? A, what Russell Bottas am I forgetting that didn't involve them running into each other in... in oh, when well, they were both... When uh, Russell stood in for Hamilton due to COVID and they raced in Bahrain. Oh, true. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but this is the first time I can think of in a while, like a big, big multi-car battle. Like, this is the shit you get in F3 and F2 that we always go on about why it's such fun racing down there. Yeah. Is you can end up with, like, these multiple, like, yeah, cars and that from all different teams and, like, a huge battle between a bunch of people. And, yeah, we haven't had a lot of it, but we got that in F1 this weekend, and it was so awesome to see. Uh-huh. So fun. Because that's the thing. These are then the kind of situations where if another lunge like that by, like, the Perez and that had happened when we were right at the very end and we had Alonso and Norris right behind, this is the kind of situation where, like, you know, 
Paris, Hamilton or Perez, I can't... Yeah, Ham, Perez might have tried to get back through on Hamilton the way that he tried to get through on McClure. He and Hamilton both run wide, and all of a sudden Alonso's dancing through onto the podium. Which would be fucking so, a bit of a turn up, know. to be honest. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, all in all, just absolute banger of a battle to see out a banger of a race. People said, like, to them, like, put this race where you want to on your list. It'll be somewhere up there, maybe it's at the top. But, like, the last 10 laps of this race may be without, um, without, like, specific, like, championship or legendary moment context of, like, someone getting their first win or whatever, just for quality of on-track action. These may be... I don't know about all time, but I'd say they were the 10 best, 10 best laps of the last decade. Hell yeah. Because obviously there was that, that fight and um, also the Mick and Verstappen stuff as well was right up there. So Yes, yes. Really and good stuff, yeah. man. So, so And there was good. a point but where I think Lewis overtook Perez okay. and Charles at the same time and it was like, oh my god, that's fucking spectacular. Oh man, that, yeah, it was oh, fucking yeah. It was good so, stuff. So... Good, but that yeah, that brings us to the end of the race, race itself. Race, race. And now to give a little uh, recap of the news, Jashan is gonna send it. On to the news. Did I send it or did I not? Didn't send it. Yeah, you. Oh, send it. Yes, this is Send It, the segment where I talk about, well, I rattle off a few headlines coming through from the uh, virulent world of Formula One. Matt can pick one that he wants to talk about, and I, too, will pick one that I would like to talk about, and we'll take it from there, give you a little bit of a breakdown. So, headline number one, without further ado, Formula One set for key meeting in Austria, over there on speedcafe.com, courtesy of Matt Cock, yet again, a good guy. Headline number two, Formula One to trial pedal cam on Norris's car in Silverstone FP1, courtesy of autosport.com. And number three, Vettel enjoys birthday drive in Mansell's 1992 Williams, Reuters. Didn't, didn't think Reuters wrote about Formula 1, but there you go. The more you know. And finally, courtesy of Autosport yet again, F1 legends pay tribute to Sir Frank Williams. Consider it sent. Matthew, anything there leaping out to you as a notable, worthwhile headline? I'll be honest, I completely spaced for headline 2, and headline 1 was too long ago, so I can only remember the last two, which is a problem. No, the last two are the best ones anyway, mate. I to say... On, uh, but I've, I'll talk about, uh, yes, Vettel and running out Nigel Mansell's car, uh, because I did see something about that and I read a little bit on it. So yeah, so he did a exhibition, several laps on, maybe it was a Saturday morning or something of, yes, Nigel Mansell's Williams. 1992 title winning Williams FW14B, which he owns. Nice. And, uh, yes, Sebastian owns, owns this car. Um, and he did it. It's been converted or whatever to run, um, carbon neutral Mm -hmm. fuel, which I believe led to the quote from Vettel about all of that. He was like, well, you know, it's my car, my rules. (laughs) Yeah, man. Um, 
Which is fair enough. So yeah, cool to see. It's always cool seeing the classic Formula One cars out there, particularly cars as significant as something like Mansell's title winning Williams. Uh, it's cool that Seb owns that little piece of F1 history. It's cool how much of like a, yeah, we, we know how much of a historian of the sport uh, Sebastian Vettel is. Obviously the man fucking named every single world champion winner in correct reverse grid order. Um, which is just genuinely one of the most bonkers things a person has ever done. Yeah, fucking ridiculous. Like, that, <laughs> I, that's the I most bonkers I don't even thing know if anyone I can st- has ever done. A memory exercise. Well, I said one of. <laughs> one of. To that level, that's insane. Like, I used to be able to have a cool party trick of being able to name every NRL grand final winner from 2002 onwards. But A, I don't think I can do that anymore because I just stopped caring enough about the sport that I'm not sure I can do some of the more recent mm-hmm. ones. But... I can only go back to 2002, which is, you know, the shit that I was alive. I, I can name the ones I watched happen. He went all the way back to the first world champion in 1950-whatever, 25 years before he was fucking born. <laughs> yeah, he fucking lives Ridiculous. it. He lives his sport. He fucking loves it. It's great. Um, But yeah, so it was a, that was a cool thing to see. Even cooler that he did it in carbon-neutral fuels. Yeah. Um, yeah. What a fucking great work. How much we love Sebastian Metal. He's an awesome dude. It's a peak headline because just for, for context, um, a few fun little quotes here from Sebi himself. I'm using carbon neutral fuels to demonstrate that we can still hang on to our history and heritage and culture in motorsport, but do it in a more responsible way, which I think is a lovely quote. Uh, it's no different to how the car was 30 years ago. It will sound exactly the same, which it did. And it will drive exactly the same way, and it will go as fast as I feel comfortable with. Very kind. And of course, this happened on Vettel's 35th birthday. So, uh, happy birthday to Sebastian, because obviously we're on a first name basis. And he also drove pretty well, going from P18 to I believe P9 in the end, right behind his surrogate son, Mick Schumacher. <laughs> when seeing them have Absolutely. a little fun little hug at the end there was very cute. So, yeah, pretty sick. Mm-hmm. Sick shit. All right, what headline are you going with? I'll I'll do the uh, Frank Williams headline there. So, yeah, basically a bunch of people gathered at Westminster Cathedral um, the day after the British Grand Prix to allow as many F1 regulars as possible to be present for the service. So over 600 people were present, including many past Williams drivers, including... Nigel Mansell, Damon Hill, Jensen Button, Valtteri Bottas was there, Nick Heidfeld was there, Martin Brundle, Mika Hakkinen rocked up, Stefano Domenicali, the FIA boss, was there, as well as Ross Braun. And uh, just, yeah, to pay their respects to Sir Frank Williams, who obviously passed away recently, we did our own little obituary on the show at the time of. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's good to see the F1 community come together and, uh, yeah. Show their support. And with that, we are sent, good sir. Indeed we are. So let's start wrapping things up. But before we do, we'll get on to a very quick uh, preview of Austria, which is this weekend back in the uh, Spielberg for, yeah, the Red Bull Ring. Um, Which is exciting. Obviously, it was a little bit flat. In did we only have one race there last year? We have two. We had two, didn't we? One of them was a bit flat. One of them was 
We had two. Average. One, one of them was but, yeah, like you said, yeah. For the for the most part, it's normally it's normally a fire track. Like it was had one of the races of the season, and then a very very good race in as its second one in twenty twenty. Yep. It's had yeah plenty of good races over the years here. Are uh, Red Bull happily for them traditionally very very strong at what is in many ways their home track they do indeed quite literally it. called the red bull and ring so yeah obviously red bull uh, as genesis is i believe an austrian company um and we are in austria there is uh, literally a gigantic statue of a bull at the stadium at the yep. at the track so yes um yeah so should be um, a good race weekend. I've got very high hopes for it now after how good Silverstone was and mm. Canada was, as we said, it wasn't like insane, insane, but it was, it was a good, it was a good Grand Prix. It sort of snapped our streak of kind of dud races. Yep. Um, so yeah, we're on to a bit of good form. Now we're back into the juicier part of the calendar. Cause I think after this, we've got Hungary and the Netherlands. no. Something in Hungary, and then it's the mid-season break. Couldn't fucking tell you, but one of them's Hungary. Uh, yeah, so... Oh, France. France and Hungary. And France is normally, oh, God, but it was good last year, so who knows? But, yeah, uh, should be a pretty good race. I don't think there's anything too crazy in terms of intricate storylines I'm expecting or whatever. Obviously, fascinating to see if for, uh, Mercedes can go three tracks in a row and really firmly put it beyond all shadow of a doubt. They are back and consistent. Yep. Uh, interested to see how McLaren goes. This is typically a pretty good circuit for them in recent years, yeah. so it'll be interesting Norris, to see I think, has got back-to-back podiums here. So. Can have a good one here. Oh, not in terms of races, but in terms of seasons, he's got Yes, yes, he has here. had at least a podium here both of the last two years. Um, and, yeah, interested to see how Verstappen can bounce back. Um more just car-wise, how Leclerc can bounce back mentally and whether signs can, uh, yeah, follow up this sort of good form and what we can get from it. So, yeah, all sort of just the usual things following on, how Mick can do having coming off his first points. Uh, but let's get straight to some predictions. I will go first this time. And I will, yeah, I just, uh, I reckon Verstappen to take the win, Charles second, Perez third. This is this is Red Bull circuit. Um, Red Bull circuit. When we race here, it is their world. We all just live in it. I see. So simple as that. Bullshit, Matthew. Bullshit. Bullshit, mate. Red Bull are all about the straights this year, my guy. This season, I mean, is Austria known for its straights, Matthew? Are you mad? It's it. Half the track is just three long straights. Hmm. It has those a low speed triple turn. triple DRS zone. You go the main the pit straight with a bit of a DRS zone, and then you go the massive first straight up the hill with a huge long DRS zone, and mm. then you go down the back straight with DRS, and then you get to the the turny section. But like, it's three fucking straights, mate. Oh, fair enough. Well, the Red, the Red Bull will be lethal here. Well, regardless, this is what's going to happen. I think Hamilton's increased pace will see him 
engage in the duel we all wanted to see at Silverstone. I think him and Max are going to get some on-track action this weekend, and they will crash into each other, and then engage in fisticuffs. And thus, it will give us a podium of Leclerc, Russell, and Perez, one, two, three. And also, it's worth noting, we have a sprint race this weekend. So get excited, get juiced. <laughs> well, that's that's just not getting watched. <laughs> not get with the weekend it. I have. <laughs> and um, also, fair, fair point, Joe will drive. So Joe is, okay, he's healthy, he's fine, he's being cleared medically to race this weekend in Austria. Awesome. So shout out and to I believe Albon, spectacular. Albon has the all clear as well, I believe. Yes, he was released from hospital yesterday. So we will have our full grit. No Piastri, unfortunately, but that's okay. It is what it oh, is. It'll good. be good to see Joe get back out there and hopefully continue. Oh, his well, there's no. Form. That's the thing. Um, there's no spot for Piastri on the grid anymore. It's it's goat Tifi now. Uh, if Piastri, dude, if, dude, if, dude, if, dude, dude, Latifi qualified Q3, sure, and then he was running around about ninth for twenty laps. Fantastic, love that. Then he drove shit, off car, the mate. track. What's he gonna do? Then he drove off the track. He literally drove off the track. And gave all that hard work away and finished outside of the points yet again. Mate, mate, if he's if Piastri should go into any seat effective immediately, it should now be Daniel Ricardo's because Go Tifi is back. Ricardo and Latifi, neither of them are good enough to be in the sport anymore, mate. Uh, unless unless yeah. Daniel Ricardo embraces his inner Johnny Bairstow and just fucking beasts it from here on in, he is out. Fair, fair enough. Ah, uh, but yeah, I think. There's not too much else to say other than, yeah, we're looking forward to Austria. Um, oh, yeah. Don't know whether or not we will have a recap podcast for it next week, uh, as obviously we already have Spencer's hectic schedule, your hectic schedule, uh, and now next week I have probably what will be the busiest week of my entire year, mm. uh, which means that... Yeah, we have to try. We'll have to. We'll have to be trying to somehow find a window where at least two of us have an overlapping availability in our schedule to be able to do a recording. So, reasonable chance that there is unfortunately no podcast. Uh, if there isn't, you may be able to find a write up at online oh, hub media. He's putting the pressure on. Dot, <laughs> onlinehubmedia.com.au. Is that the web handle? That's it, man. That's there you go. So you find cool. find it there on the uh, website. It'll be the first uh, blog post that Jashan has written in almost three years, I think. No, it's been um, since two years, I maybe my two job years. At the Chinese restaurant, so about a year and a half. Oh, about a year and three quarters. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds fair. Yeah, uh, yeah. You haven't done one since the uh, top ten Rockman or Young Talents or something list you did yeah, for the AFL. Sound about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when no, actually, stopped. no. That's a lie. Because I've done two. I've done two articles for Jade's companies in in that time. So I have been. Writing. Oh, and are they are they on online hub media? No. Well, that's what I mean. It's the first blog post that'll be up on that. Yeah. Hell yeah, bro. Yeah, since you are since you spelt Timber wrong and got your nickname in my phone that's still around, Tall Timber. Ah! Shout out to Bunk Bed, which I probably shouldn't have changed a long time ago. <laughs> Good oh times. Because you don't like to uh, sleep yeah. on a bug bed. You sleep on an actual can... bed, and we're all very proud of you. Yeah, I mean it's it's half of the bunk bed. It's yeah, but it's just not in. It's bunk now just by itself. Yes, 
it's not in bug formation. It's it's is it like an X-wing fighter? It's like it's it's either got the foils out or like just the foils combined as one singular wing. It's not an yeah. attack formation. It's not in bunk bed formation. Anyway, this is a tangent that we don't need to go on right now. Uh, so yes, as always, you can find uh, us on any good podcast player and uh, on Instagram at Online Hub Media. And as we said, potentially for next week for a write-up on uh, Austria at onlinehubmedia.com.au. And yeah, for another week, I have been Matt and I have been joined by Jashan. Mm-hmm. Good to be here. Had a pleasure. And together, we as always have been Rear of the Grid.